Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again to Harvest. As you've heard, we are, it's hard to believe this is the end of week four of the 40 days of prayer. It has certainly flown by. But we are moving now into Colossians 3, so I want to invite you to join me there. You can turn in your copy of God's Word, or you can turn in your Bible app to Colossians chapter 3. We are going to dive in there and see what we can learn about prayer, specifically praying Scripture over other believers. That's what we've been looking at all through the 40 days as we're walking through the book of Colossians. And as we dive in this morning... I want to show you some pictures. On each of the next few slides, there's going to be two pictures. And I want you to decide which one is the best. Okay, you're not, you're not picking your favorite of whatever's up on the screen. You're going to try to discern what the best of the two things is. And I'll, I'll give you a scenario, and then you see which one of these things is the best. So first, we have a glass of water. And a nice cup of coffee. I want you to imagine that you have been stranded in the desert for two days without water. Which one of these two things would be the best? Obviously, the water. Okay? In this next picture, we have a baseball bat and a pool noodle. Now, I want you to imagine that someone breaks into your house. Which one of these two things would be the best thing to defend yourself with? The baseball bat. Again, pretty obvious. Maybe by now you're starting to pick up on a pattern. There's an obvious answer here. But let's let's do one more just to make sure you got it. Jumper cables and a bowl of spaghetti noodles. Now, let's imagine you leave to go home this morning. We're not going to imagine it because we're all going to leave and go home at some point today. But you go out, and you get in your car, and it doesn't start. The battery's dead. Which of these two things is the best? The jumper cables. I've never seen somebody start a car with spaghetti noodles. But if you have that talent, I would love to see it. All right, last one. Is it best to live with an eternal focus or a temporary focus? Is it best to live focused on eternity or focused on temporary earthly things? Eternity. Obvious answer. Even more obvious because we're sitting in church this morning. None of us is going to say temporary things sitting in worship. Here's a follow-up question. Does your life demonstrate that it is best to live with an eternal focus? Could someone look at your life, the way you live, and say that you are focused on eternity? Because you see, where our focus is, is where our priorities are going to be. If we're living with an eternal focus, our priorities are going to be on eternal things. But if we're living with a temporary focus, then our priorities are going to be on temporary earthly things. 
in our passage this morning, Paul is teaching the Colossians and all believers to live focused on eternal matters. And he gives us instructions on how we should live as those who have been made alive in Christ. Now, being made alive in Christ affects every area of our lives. It even affects the ways that we pray, which is why this week we are praying for believers to set their priorities on eternal matters and allow the life of Christ to flow through every area and do it together. We're praying for believers to set their priorities on eternal matters and allow the life of Christ to flow through every area of their life and to do it together. How do we do this? Let's find out in Colossians 3, starting in verse 1 this morning. It reads, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience." Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, up until this point in Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul's been focusing on doctrine. He's been teaching a lot of a lot of doctrine and a lot of theology. But here in chapter 3, he shifts and he begins to teach how to live out all of the things that he has taught already. 
He begins to teach how Christ followers should live because of all of the doctrine that he's taught. And our passage this morning is the first really practical passage that we've looked at where Paul is saying, because of this, don't do these things and do these things. And in these verses, one through four, verses one through four is really the springboard into how we are to live as Christ's followers. Paul says, since believers have died to themselves and have been raised with Christ, we must live out our new lives. Since believers have died to themselves and have been raised with Christ, we must live out our new lives. And the first two ways we do this is by setting our hearts and our minds on things above. Now, throughout this entire passage, Paul is going to tell believers to do certain things and to not do certain things. And everywhere in these verses, when Paul says, do this or don't do that, he's not making a suggestion. Okay, this is, Paul is not saying, hey, it may be good if you try these things. He's not saying you should give these things a shot and see what happens. Every single one of these are commands. Everything that we see this morning is a command. And what the word is telling us is because you follow Jesus, do this. Because you are a follower of Jesus, don't do this. He begins with setting our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. To set our hearts on things above means that our passions and our desires are set on the things that God is passionate about. It means that as we mature in our faith, as we become more and more like Christ, our passions and our desires become more and more aligned with God's will, more and more aligned with the things that God is passionate about, with the things that God desires. Dr. Scott Pace, talking about this, describes it this way. He says, our pursuits... What we devote ourselves to should be measured by their value in Christ's kingdom, their purpose in accomplishing his mission, and their contribution to building his church. So as we grow in faith, the things that we are passionate about should be the things that add value or that are are valued within Christ's kingdom, things like the word of God prayer, Christian community, serving those in need, taking the gospel to the lost, making disciples, teaching others what it looks like to follow Jesus so that they in turn may teach others how to follow Jesus. These are the things that are valued in God's kingdom. These are the things that accomplish Jesus' mission and build up the church. So if we are going to set our minds on things above where Christ is, these are the things that we must be passionate about because these are the things that God himself is passionate about. Paul goes on to say, 
we also should set our minds on things above. We should set our values and our thoughts on things above. This allows us to have the mind of Christ and to be led by the Spirit. And then in verses 5 through 17, Paul goes on to describe the behaviors that we should live out, the characteristics of Christ that we should live out. But if we don't have verses 1 through 4, if we don't have the foundation of Jesus, we cannot live out verses 5 through 17. You could listen to me all morning and write down the things in these verses that Paul says don't do and write down the things that Paul says to do. And you could go home and you could put them on your wall. But if you don't have Christ, you will not be able to live these things out because Christ is the foundation. Look with me back at the very beginning of this passage, the very beginning of chapter 3. Paul says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Paul is using the passive voice here. This means that you did not do anything to raise yourself with Christ. We did not do anything to earn this new life that we have in Christ. Because this new life, you can't buy it. You can't be good enough to earn your way into it. There is nothing that we can do to earn this new life that Jesus gives us. But praise God that all we have to do is receive it. See, in Ephesians 2, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. Not by anything that we have done. Not by any accomplishment that we can achieve. So that no one can boast. God himself on his own, has completely done the work of salvation for us by sending his son to die in our place so that all who come to him, so that all who put their faith and their trust in Jesus and surrender to him and follow him may be saved and may have new life. And if you've never done that, if you've never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and made him the Lord of your life, I invite you to do that this morning. I, you can do that right now where you are. You can surrender to Jesus and begin to follow after him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you just heard the most important thing that you're going to hear all day. It comes out of these first four verses in Colossians chapter 3. So we have to have the foundation of verses 1 through 4 before we move into verses 5 through 17. In the rest of this passage, Paul is going to give us four lists of behaviors that teach believers how to live their life in Christ. These, in these first two lists, he's going to tell us sins that we need to forsake. And then in the second two lists, 
He's going to tell us to pursue holiness, to pursue the things of Christ. And so we're going to look at these four lists, and we're going to see four ways that we can pray for other believers based off these lists that Paul gives us in verses 5 through 17. The first way that we want to pray is for believers to put to death their earthly nature by living sexually pure lives. To put to death their earthly nature by living sexually pure lives. So in this first list, Paul focuses on sexual sins. But he begins by saying that we need to put to death our earthly nature. Now, the moment you put your faith in Christ, you become a new creation. You are made into something new, and you receive a new nature. The old nature is dead and gone. You receive a new nature in Christ. But those old habits still like to hang around. Even though we have a new nature, we have to learn new habits. We have to learn new ways to live out this new nature. And when it comes to sexual sin, Scripture is completely clear. There is only one type of sexual relationship that honors God, and that's between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. That's the only type of sexual relationship or action that honors God is between one man and one woman within the confines of marriage. If it's anything else, we don't have to ask, is this okay? Does God approve of this? Because scripture is clear. Now, we live in a culture that wants to say there's gray area and there's wiggle room here. That does not stand up when we come to the Word of God. The only type of sexually pure life is between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. In this list, sexual immorality here refers to any kind of sexual sin. We get our English word pornography from the Greek word that Paul uses for sexual immorality here. Impurity is the corruption that results of sexual sin, and lust and evil desires go together because they lead us into this type of sin. And as we look at this list, at first, it kind of seems like greed is out of place. It seems like Paul listed four sexual sins, and then he just kind of tagged on greed at the end. But when we look at it in context, and we think about the nature of sexual sin, The more we indulge, the more we desire. And the more we desire, the more we indulge. So when we look at it in that context, greed fits. Paul says ultimately that this leads to idolatry, and because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. It's only when we begin to understand how great God's wrath is, how perfect his wrath is, that we really begin to be ruled and controlled by his mercy. Just think of God's wrath for a moment. God is perfect. 
in every way. Even though we can't fully understand that with our human minds, God is perfect in his wrath. And so often we look at God and we think of the ways that we act in our anger or in our wrath and we think, you know, God just can't be perfect in that way. That's the wrong perspective. That's taking human emotions and placing them on God. And that's the wrong way to look at things. God is perfect in his wrath. And because we are sinners, we deserve the wrath of God. And when we begin to understand that, we'll begin to be ruled by his mercy because we realize even though we deserve his wrath, God sent his son so that we can receive his grace and his mercy. It's it's when we begin to realize that Jesus took that wrath in our place on the cross that we really begin to let his mercy and his grace rule in our lives. And maybe you're in here this morning and sexual sin is an area that you struggle with. You can never outsin God's grace because his mercy is greater than our sin if we will repent and confess our sins and turn away from them and follow him. Look with me going back to verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. The second way that we want to pray for believers comes from the list in verse 8. And we want to pray for believers to rid themselves of attitudes that lead to division. We want to pray for believers to rid themselves of attitudes that lead to division. This second list that Paul gives us focuses on social sins. And he focuses on actions and characteristics and attitudes that lead to division within the body of Christ. And Paul is going to use this image of putting off old clothes and putting on new clothes. So as we, as we walk through these next three lists and think of putting off old clothes, I want you to imagine that you've been working out in the yard in July or August. It's hot. It's sticky. You're sweaty. You're covered in dust and dirt. You finish working. You come in. You take a shower. You are not going to put on those clothes that you were just working in the yard in. You're going to put on fresh clothes. You're going to put on clean clothes. Is the same image that Paul is painting for us in these next few verses. He says that we have to take off anger and rage and malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Because all these things are a part of that old nature that died the moment we put our faith in Jesus. And instead, we are to be renewed in knowledge as we are made into the image of our creator. We are renewed in knowledge as we grow in Christ. 
as we mature in our faith, our knowledge is renewed. We gain more knowledge of who God is. And as that is renewed, we are made more and more into the image of Jesus. And as we are made more and more into the image of our creator, we begin to understand him more and more. We get a new renewed knowledge. And then we are again made more and more into the image of our creator. It's a process. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 that we shouldn't conform to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. All of these things that Paul lists in verse 8 lead to division. But in verse 11, Paul is really clear. There is no division within the body of Christ. Look with me back at verse 11. He says here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So he begins by saying there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no ethnic division within the body of Christ. When it comes to being a part of the body of Jesus, the body of Christ and being a Christ follower, we aren't Hispanic Christians and Asian Christians and black Christians or white Christians. We are followers of Jesus. There is nothing before Christian. There's no adjective before follower of Christ within the body. There is one body. There are not ethnic divisions. In just a minute, we'll see there's no cultural divisions. That's what Paul means when he says barbarian or Scythian. There is one body of Christ. And one day, every tribe and every tongue and every nation is going to bow down in worship to our Savior. There's only one body of Christ. There's no division within this body. He goes on to say there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no division over religious heritage within the body of Christ. The physical act of circumcision was God's sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And if we were to go back to the book of Acts after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, as the gospel began to really spread and go to the Gentiles, there was a lot of division and a lot of argument amongst the Jews about whether people had to first be physically circumcised and convert to Judaism before they could follow Jesus. And Paul says, there's no religious heritage. doesn't matter our religious background. There's one body of Christ. Okay, when we get to heaven, there's going to be former Baptists worshiping Jesus, Methodists, Catholics, Lutherans, non-denominationals, evangelical free. We're all going to be worshiping Jesus. No matter what denomination we grew up in, there's only one body of Christ. There's no cultural division. There's, but that's what Paul means when he says barbarian and Scythian. There's also no economic division. Now, we don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of this. When Paul says there's no slave or free, he's talking about an economic division here. Why? Why is that? Why is it that the body of Christ is this way? 
Because Christ is all and is in all. In verse 12, Paul is going to transition and begin to command believers to put on holiness, to pursue certain things. And verses 12 through 17 is where we get the last part of our prayer focus this week. Paul, is, this still has an individual aspect, but in these next five verses, he's talking to the body as a whole. So we've been praying for believers to live with their priorities on eternal matters individually in their lives. But we're also praying that they do it together. And these next two lists cover the do it together part of our prayer prompt this week. So the third way that we want to pray is for believers to serve one another in love and forgive like Jesus. For believers to serve one another in love and forgive like Jesus. Going back to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Because believers have been made new in Christ, we need to put on the characteristics, the attitudes, the actions of Jesus. This means showing compassion to one another, being kind, being humble, gentle, and patient. And then Paul says we're to live these out by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Bearing with one another means that we work together for unity despite our differences. Right? Even if we have a difference of opinion about something, even if we would do something a different way, we work together for unity with our mind focused on Christ. Even when people don't live up to our expectations, we bear with them. Forgiveness means showing the mercy and grace that we have been shown to others. And what's interesting here, interesting and challenging within these verses, is that Paul is talking to those who have been offended. Paul is talking to those who have been hurt, not the ones who have done the offending, not the ones that have done the hurting. Now, this doesn't mean that when we offend someone, we don't go and apologize or seek reconciliation or apologize to them. But it means that when we're the one that's offended, we should forgive. Even when people don't come and ask for our forgiveness. You see, we are to forgive like Christ has forgiven us. The same Jesus who initiated the forgiveness of our sins long before we confessed them or repented. In Romans 5, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. 
we need to show the same forgiveness that we have been shown to others within the body of Christ. Very, very challenging. For me, for me personally, this is probably the most challenging section of this passage. It's, it's real easy and natural to want to defend ourselves when we're hurt or, or to fight back or to win an argument. But this is how we live like Christ. The last way that we want to pray is for believers to build one another up through the message of Christ. For believers to build one another up through the message of Christ. Going back to verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to build one another up through the message of the gospel. It means we are to teach and admonish one another. And and admonishing is just strong encouragement. We're to teach and encourage one another through the message of the gospel. This happens through the teaching of the word, through the study of the word, through living in Christian community, through prayer. But I want us to notice the specific way that Paul says that we are to do this. He says that we are to do this through song. Now here, Paul is talking to the entire body of Christ, but I, I believe this applies to our individual lives as well, to our family worship as well. Even though corporate worship for them looked very different than it does for us, this still applies to us today. They would have been gathering in house churches. They wouldn't have necessarily come to a building and had a band on stage. They definitely didn't have a projector and a screen to help them know the words to the songs. But this still applies to us today. And that's why each week, every time we gather together as a body of believers at Harvest, we want to teach and admonish you well through the songs that we sing during our corporate worship time. That's why before we sing a new song, Normally, one of the pastors looks at the songs to make sure the lyrics are theologically correct and they line up with the doctrine of Scripture. Because sadly, a lot of contemporary Christian music today focuses more on how we feel and what we can do for God than on who He is. And we want to make sure when we gather together, we are focusing on who we worship, not on the style of worship that we want, not on the style of music that we want, not on the feelings that we have, but on who our creator is. And we want to teach biblically through the songs that we sing because music sticks with us. In April, my grandmother, I call her Mama. Mama is going to be 91 years old. 
she is one of the most godly people that I've ever had the privilege of knowing. She's been walking with the Lord for 80 or so years now. For the last few years, last couple years, she's been living in a nursing home, walking through dementia. And she's at a point in this walk in her life where more often than not, she doesn't remember people. Maybe you've had a, a similar experience or similar family member walk through this where she doesn't, she doesn't always remember names. She doesn't remember faces. But back around Christmas, my mom and some of my other family members went to visit her in the nursing home. And they began, they began to sing Christmas carols. And singing the carols quickly turned to singing the old hymns of the faith. And even though my grandmother cannot always remember names or remember faces, she sang every word of those old songs. You see, because they proclaim the truth of who God is. And she passed that truth down to her children and her grandchildren. And it's now being passed down to her great-grandchildren. So what we sing matters. That's why we take so seriously our corporate worship. Because we want to teach and admonish one another well through song. And in whatever we do, we want to do all things well in the name of Jesus. And that includes praying for each other well. These are just a summary of the four ways that we want to pray for other believers based off Colossians 3. And we're going to practice this in just a moment. But we want to pray for believers to put to death their earth, earthly nature by living sexually pure lives. To rid themselves of attitudes that lead to division. To serve one another in love and forgive like Jesus. And to build one another up through the message of Christ. Christ.